So 50 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining us on this podcast today is Alison, Daniel and Kim. Hi. Excellent. Time is a bit tough right here and short, so... (laughs) All right, and... What we have is, a, this is our very special 50th episode. So special that we managed to track down a cast member who agreed to <laughs> come and chat with us on the podcast. And you might know him uh, from a few keyboard performances. Uh, maybe the Friday Night Funny Man, Elliot Rhodes, with such hits like this. Malcolm Turnbull, he sure got pull. He'll change our flag and call the Queen of Let's all sing Mandela. He's such a lucky fella. Compared to the clerky Suella. So let's kick them in the rear and say goodbye North Korea. Goodbye North Korea. Cha-cha-cha. Our Friday Night Funny Man is a national treasure. He's shit out. While his name is Elliot Rhodes, his real name is Boris Conley. So I just want to say thank you for joining the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Boris Conley. Yeah, Yeah, the Friday Night Funny Man. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. At least he played one on TV. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A lot of the spotlight for season one... uh, is on you for this. Uh, how, how did you become part of the show? I was at a party and my my partner has a friend who was working, who had worked with the DGEN as a producer, uh, that, that is assistant producer. And um, I was at this party and I was, as I do, I was clowning around a bit on the piano and singing silly songs and doing impressions of, I don't know, all and sundry, whatever, I don't know, I was probably drunk. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and anyway, the producer was there and she's a friend and she said on the quiet that uh, working dog, uh, they weren't working dog then, but anyway, the DGN people were making a new show and uh, they were looking for someone who could play piano and sing. And I, I said, oh, yeah, I'd be interested. So the next part of the process was that, because usually when those things are talked about, often in social occasions, nothing ever eventuates. You know, people say we're doing a show and then three years later you go, oh, well, nothing actually happened there. But this one, there was definitely a follow-up phone call that said, can you be at a, for an um, interview or audition, um, you know, in a couple of weeks? So I said, okay, sure. So I turned up thinking, because usual cattle call for auditions is, you know, there's 50, you know, in my case, 50 other bald-headed <laughs> blokes <laughs> with, with piano skills. They're all 50, 50 other like, potential yeah. Elliots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the potential Elliots. You said they were all feeling like goops. And uh, anyway, I was the only candidate and there was no audition. They, in fact, they just said, here's the keyboard. Is it okay? Will that work? And I played it was a little little Yamaha keyboard I said sure that'll be fine 
And I said, okay. And then they sent me a, uh, a okay, this is, uh, yeah, they sent me a um, schedule, told me when to turn up and do it. And um, prior to that, we had to do write that actual song that I was doing on the day. So that's how it happened. And did you write the songs that you performed? Yes, I wrote the music and they wrote the lyrics. So the way it worked was that they would write the lyrics um, and send them. This is the day of, days of faxes, my friends. <laughs> Think of that even before emails. <laughs> Vale faxes. Yeah. So my wife was working in a, you know, a legit job. So she had a fax machine. So they would the, the lyrics would get faxed to my wife. She'd bring them home from work that night. I would knock up a tune or and get them sort of happening. And then we would have a very short production meeting where I by phone I'd ring them up and I'd sing them the song and they'd give me feedback whether they liked it or they liked it but they wanted something changed or they didn't like it and they wanted it to be completely different and they'd make some suggestions. Um, But whatever, I was all cool and that's how we did it. And then um, do you want to hear more about what happened? (laughs) And if you want to hear more of that conversation with Boris, uh, all you have to do is go to our podcast feed, the Champagne Comedy podcast feed, and just look for the bonus episode with Boris Conley. So again, thank you, Boris, for being part of the show. Uh, And yeah, you uh, were such an amazing chat to come on and just talk everything Elliot. So again, thank you so much. Oh, Jesus! It's Daniel Genie's program guide. <laughs> All right, so uh, there was a front page uh, cover story in the Green Guide written by uh, one of the guests in last week's episode, uh, Ducal Jelly, titled Behind the Frontline. For most of it, uh, he managed to seek a uh, comment about Frontline from the executive producers of uh, both uh, Real Life and uh, A Current Affair. Uh, that's Gerald Stone for Real Life and uh, Neil Mooney for A Current Affair. And they were kind of a bit dismissive about uh, the show. So uh, Gerald Stone said, uh, I don't cringe at all when I see it. To me, it's got as much relevance to A Current Affair or Real Life as Forty Towers has to the hotel business. I don't think I've ever talked to Stan Grant about the show to tell you the truth. And uh, Neil Mooney was uh, just as dismissive. Uh, you're accepting their premise that Frontline is true to the mark. I don't accept that at all. And also the, uh, the Siege episode was mentioned. Uh, Neil Mooney said about that, I winced when I watched that show, but certainly did not accept for one minute that the program was a true depiction of what happened. It was basically fairy tale stuff. I thought they were a bit tacky, really. There was also mention of a programming tactic, which I'll uh, get to uh, in just a moment. Uh, But let's get to the uh, program guide proper. Just a little bit of a reminder of uh, what was up against Frontline. Going on Channel 9, uh, at 7.30 they have uh, Murphy Brown, Season 6, Episode 24, titled My Movie with Louis. French filmmaker Louis Mal, playing himself, asks Murphy to take a small but critical role in his new uh, political thriller. I'm going to be in a Louis Mal film next week. Really? I have a small but pivotal role. You're serious? You really think you're going to be in this movie? I'm not going to just be in it. I'm a plot point. No, you're not. The network won't let you. They have a policy. What policy? News people may not appear in entertainment telecasts or movies. No one reads my memos. (laughs) Well, for once, I think the network made a wise decision. 
When journalists pose as actors, they make a pact with the devil. <laughs> I myself almost did a commercial for Tang back in 73. But when they wanted me to wear a spacesuit and pretend to interview Neil Armstrong on the moon, I told them that would be one giant step backward for this man. Apparently Rodney Allen Rippey didn't have the same ethical standards. <laughs> The episode also stars uh, Gary Marshall as the head of the network. Supposedly at 8 o'clock uh, was Frasier, but um, uh, Jewel Jelly uh, mentioned something in the article about uh, a well-known program employed by Channel 9 who has been running Murphy Brown about four minutes over schedule. The bastards. <laughs> no one uh, in TV would ever do that now. Oh, no. I know. What about the, the G-codes? Exactly. <laughs> um, although a significant number of viewers do switch from 9 to watch Frontline at 8pm on Mondays, the executive producer uh, of the show, Michael Hirsch, says the Murphy, Brown, the Murphy Brown overrun has discouraged many viewers from switching channels. It's simple, he says. Some viewers flick to Frontline at 8.04, but the show's already started, so most switch back to 9 to catch the opening scenes of Frasier. Frontline has counterpunched the move by producing recent episodes several minutes shorter and uh, put the first few minutes of the half-hour uh, time slot uh, uh, filling it with uh, ABC promos. So, there you go. Even back then, like, it's not as bad. Although, mind you, I have noticed with having been paying attention and the cheap seats that mm. they've been advertised at 8.40 and they go to where at 8.40. Yep, I know this because I always set my uh, my old PVR for this, and then uh, I always have this buffer of ten minutes, and it's not ne it's not needed because it starts pretty much when I when I watch it. Yeah, well done, Channel Ten. I uh, guess anyhow, it's not an issue anymore when people can just easily catch up stuff on streaming services. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so back to nineteen ninety four um, at eight oh four p.m. We've got Frasier season one episode fifteen titled You Can't Tell a Crook by His Cover. Frazier makes a bet that he can pick the ex-convict at his father Martin's poker game. Okay, Sherlock, you got center stage. Well, I have sketched an accurate psychological profile of each one of you. And in so doing, I have come to the incontrovertible conclusion that the criminal among us can only be Frank. Wrong. Frank's a highly decorated undercover cop. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, after that... Um... Uh, Daphne uh, is uh, planning to go out on a date with the uh, the actual ex-convict uh, out of the poker game. Okay, so moving over to Channel 10, what the heck is going on at 7.30 with Healthy, Wealthy and Wise? I'll tell you what. Jim Brown goes to Coriol to find out about the man from Snowy River. Lynn Talbot speaks to the experts about general eye care. Eye drops, yes. Red hot pokers, no. Ian Hewitson prepares a lamb dish at the convent in the Hunter Valley. Ronnie Burns meets a man who turns old farmyard junk into furniture. And Ross Greenwood explains the ups and downs of petrol prices. Oh, my God. Wow. Any of that uh, wanting you to uh, send in for the fact sheet there? <laughs> can, can I have the fact sheet about poking my eyes out with red hot pokers so I don't have to watch that? And yeah, best best you, you, you get that while you still can read it as well. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. All right. Uh, and the only other thing of note is that uh, we had the last of French and Saunders last week 
And we have a very similar program uh, filling the time slot at 9.30. Is it Fry uh, and Laurie? Uh, no, it's sort of, uh, it stars one of uh, French and Saunders. Does that help narrow it down? Oh, Ab Fab. Not quite. Ab Fab Ooh, came Murder on, Most Horrid. That's the one. Play the Murder Most that. Horrid. What was that title again? <laughs> you dork. Okay, so uh, this is a, a British black comedy anthology series uh, starring Dawn French, but um, I think co-produced with her and um, Jennifer Saunders, but uh, not written by them. Uh, the series starred French as a different character in each episode. Uh, for some reason, the ABC are starting with season two, episode two, titled Lady Luck. Um, Dawn French plays a hairdresser who suddenly becomes a getaway driver for a bank robber who's on the run. How long are we going to be? What? Just I got to pick my husband up at standstill. Keep your mouth shut. Well, Bernie doesn't like to be kept waiting. I said keep your mouth shut. Well, excuse me, but if you could just hear me out, then I will keep my mouth shut, all right? I promise, all right? All I'm saying is, when Bernie says meet me at 4.30, that's what he means, 4.30. He doesn't mean 4.25, he doesn't mean 4.35, he means 4.30. And I don't want a repeat of what happened last time. I got there early because the shopping is actually very good at Stansted. I don't know if you've been there recently, have you, Stansted? Well, it's very good. And I was in Knickerbox and that's where I lost my credit card, so I had to go up to lost property. And while I'm up there, the Pharaoh flight has docked, hasn't it? And Denise is not there to meet him, am I? So he's dropped all his duty-free trying to get through the automatic doors with his clubs. He has a screaming blue fit in the arrivals hall. And when he sees me coming, he heads off straight towards the taxi rank and doesn't speak to me till August bank holiday. Well, I'm sorry, darling, no personal offence to you, but if it's a choice between that thing pointing at me or Bernie Cunningham in a bad mood... You finished! Guys, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite some monologue, I've got to say. You may be able to find that um, season... Uh, well... I think the whole run, perhaps, on the Internet Archive, but um, you did not hear it on this Fine Upstanding podcast. Um, I think I might have heard it from that very naughty Joseph Rogan. How dare you? <laughs> or something that uh, Caleb Bond produced. How dare them? <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, with all that done, plenty of other stuff to watch uh, if you don't like Frontline, but uh, that's not us. So let's get into the episode. I'm just wondering, actually, if we should go back and explore what Gerald Stone and the other guy from A Current Affair had to say about the, their Faulty Towers analogy. <laughs> I, I'm i just like, I don't know. I, I feel like I've got probably one or two sentences to say on that. And, and the other thing that occurred yeah. to me was th that Murphy Brown clip I mean, that is exactly the kind of debate you would expect in the frontline office, isn't it? Kind of you know? echoing this episode in a way. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you want to include this in the episode or not, but um, uh, slight spoiler alert. Um, yeah, basically, Murphy Brown uh, confronts uh, Louis Mal uh, about uh, trying to change the script because she thought that it was kind of unnatural and sort of being a bit sort of bossy about the small but pivotal role so much that she she loses the role. Oh goodness! There you go. Mm. That, that so does echo it's something. Of, it's a lot. It's yeah. It's definitely a lot more sitcommy 
uh, than Frontline. But um, yeah, sort of watching watching that episode, which you may or may not be able to find on Internet Archive as well. <laughs> Again, uh, yeah, I, I didn't say that. Not the not the fine outstanding people at Champagne Comedy Podcast. No, um, but uh, yeah, seeing that FYI whiteboard <laughs> up the back, I sort of went, "Gee, it's Frontline." Uh, uh, I think that might just be a coincidence, but you never know. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, and, Daniel. And, 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 and you, and you have, so, sorry, but also, um, yeah, Alison, you also wanted to say about um, the Forky Towers thing? Yeah, I I think the – I'm finding the analogy of um, – you know, hotels and and faulty towers quite interesting there because John Cleese based faulty towers on actual rubbish British hotels of the era, right? And so if you know that, you just went, I just went, what? Because, you know, quite, I I think basically they're they're saying, no, our current affairs are not like that at all. And they are. You know, hmm. Frontline is based on real current affair shows in the way mm. that Faulty Towers was based on actual bad hotels. So I think they're deluding themselves there. Yeah, yep. agreed. <laughs> cool. All right. Great. Let's get into it, shall we? And I'll just do the intro. In fact, we should have got our guest. Yeah, yeah, we should have no, got it. Oh, well. It's okay. I got it covered. Trust me. So <laughs> let me just warm up. La, 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 la. Red leather, yellow leather. Mm. And here, here we go. <clears throat> Hello, my name is not Boris Conley, and this is from <laughs> Season 1, Episode 10, Add Sex and Stir, broadcast Monday, July 11, 1994. Yay! Yay! Well done, not Boris. Yes. Thank you, not Boris. So the <laughs> synopsis of this episode is Frontline transforms another boring story about under-recognized sportswomen in a hot story about lesbians in sport. <gasps> there we go. Take a breath. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mike has a party and it's certainly an affair to remember with such guests as Molly Meldrum, Glenn Ridge and George Negus. How about that? Star studded yeah. already. Yeah. And I think, I think it's because of that party that... Um, there's no script for this uh, in the book. It's the, the episode is just entirely skipped over. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see later on exactly why that is. Yeah. So we are introduced to Marty coming in uh, to the office and he's being forced by management to take a holiday leave uh, as he has too much built up over his 11 years. Uh, with Mike rolling up early for his meeting with Brian as per his electronic organiser. And come on, who else didn't own one? I did. I had one yeah, through my yeah, school. Yeah, I had one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, the I, mid-90s I, was I, the time. I, I didn't, but... Um, I but, didn't. Yeah, con- like, considering how much it's sort of given way to <laughs> Blackberries and smartphones, and I've, all I can think of is that skit in The Late Show where they were basically calling out people who had mobile phones as wankers. And, yeah, <laughs> I just seeing that, seeing that uh, dark grey you know, square uh, electronic organizer. And I was thinking that's such a wanker thing for people to have. Yeah, it, it was, it was very It wanker. makes so much sense that Mike's <laughs> a Yeah, that, that era was, uh, yeah, it was, was when they first kind of became a thing. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of the Seinfeld episode called The Marine Biologist where uh, Elaine is given one by Kramer 
and she's in a car. She works for a publishing company, and there's a, a Russian novelist in the in the car, and they're they're talking about stuff. And he gets really annoyed at this incessant beeping from her organizer that she has no idea how to turn off. And he, in this fit of rage, she chucks it out of the car. And <laughs> it was kind of like that was the 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 pinnacle of uh, of, of personal organizers and and how useful they were. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we've learned over these episodes of Frontline is that if there's a new gadget available, Mike Moore's going to go out and buy it. So if, if you know, to 2023 Mike Moore, he would be like already have ordered his his Apple VR headset <laughs> they announced this week. He He's up for it. He's prepared to pay the 3500 US dollars for it and he cannot wait. <laughs> now, Brian puts the hard word on Brooke not to do a women's sports story, but Brooke has some juicy tidbits. One of the girls reckoned she was dropped from the team because she wasn't gay. Mm. So then, there's those. Well, she didn't put it quite that delicately, but I think she might have just pushed a bit. Well, push, push, get an interview. But before you get into anything else, did anyone spot someone in the background? Conica oh, watch. Yeah, he does appear in it twice, but that's the first uh, appointment of Colin Conica. Oh, so he appeared in, in duplicate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yay! Hold on. Hey, yeah. Give her a b- dumb tish. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Isn't isn't that something though? Brian calling women's sport the natural enemy of ratings. But it was thirty years ago. I mean, these days women's sport is getting really popular, but back then it was just like There's certainly more yeah. of it about professionally. Yeah. Mm. But Mike tells Brian that he wants to do an ad for Australia First, uh, an exporting company, the fourth biggest. I don't know if you want to put the pedantry stamp on this, but technically it's an unnamed major Australian company publicising their export drive called Australia First. All right. Pedantry. There we go. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, clearly modelled after... Um, I couldn't find the grab for this from the Late Show, but they did take the piss out of the Woolworths ads yes. uh, starring uh, journalist Ian Leslie, which were kind of similar, like similar sounding yeah. ads, which were like not publicising the weekly specials, but just publicising the company. Yeah, and yeah. they mention Ian Leslie as well as when uh, when Mike's talking about how people like Ian Leslie and John Laws are doing ads. Yeah, there's a there's a brilliant quote and he says um you know no one questions john law's integrity had a look at the steve weizard clips of when he's uh yeah. doing the fast forward uh piss take of the valvoline ads and, and talking about it Do, doesn't he have him drinking the valvoline? <laughs> yeah, there was a few there was a few of them so one of them was like i use valvoline to slip into my tight jeans <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh mike, mike asks brian and brian flat out says no Basically because, you know, it'll cheapen the image of Mike, of Frontline, of the network, says that it's a breach of contract and that Brian just flat out just doesn't like it. And it's then that Mike uh, uh, reveals something new in his life. Mm. He's got a manager who reckons it's not a breach of contract. Gee, I wonder who the manager is, she says, having seen this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think I like I like I like the the, the little the, the the two lines. Brian asking Mike, "Did you get a manager?" And Mike going, "Got one." 
<laughs> kind of like a shit scared style of thing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like when they're saying it. Yeah. As Emma walks in, uh, Mike reminds him about Friday, to which Emma lip reads that's about Mike's cocktail party. Hello. Oh, yeah. But Emma calls out Brian's contradiction about Brooke's sports story, which is basically based on unfair dismissal uh, when Brian reiterates that it's all about the lesbians. His well, words... Lesos spelt L-E-S-O-S. Yeah. Which I'm I'm not sure is the official 90s spelling of lesos, but, you know, we can debate that some other time perhaps. Lesos. <laughs> yeah. I it's, thought it was a Z. This, this is, this is, is sounding, Z, this is sounding like the... Norgs versus Norks debate. Oh no! <laughs> yes. of of two thousand and seven. Well, like, there can, was some discussion about how to spell it. Schoolyard <laughs> lunchtime debating this. Uh. Oh goodness. <laughs> But Marty is in a daze in the kitchen, stressing about his relaxing holiday. And Kate walks in and explains the best holiday she went on. But Marty just disappears. Poor Marty. That's <laughs> yeah. just anxiety and stress all over his face. You're not meant to stress over a holiday. Well, and, and, and he's got a reason. Mm, for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's two bits I, I like about Marty in this scene. The f- first of all, the fact that he's essentially playing a statue for the first half of his appearance. <laughs> and then, second of all, uh, there's one line I like from Marty. I just I, I like the way he pronounces one word in this line. Where's a good place to go for a holiday? He can't bring himself to say holiday. (laughs) He says it almost like Hancock's half hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's he's so professional in all in all the other you know work related things, and when it comes to relaxing, he just doesn't know what to do. It's like if 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 he could get away with it, he would just say the H word. Uh, Mike walks into the kitchen and suddenly uh, rubbing, I guess he's. Cocktail Rubbing party invite on the fridge, yeah. You're right for the cocktail party? I mean, you haven't said anything, so I presume you're still coming. Oh, Mike, I was just going to tell you, I am free every night this week except Saturday. Can you believe it? Great. The party's on Friday night. Mm. <gasps> <laughs> Great. Hey, lucky you. <laughs> so, yeah, a very, a very unsubtle note on the fridge there. Reminder, mm. read Mike's party. Please RSVP. I need to know numbers. See you there, Mike. Yeah. But has anyone... It's written very neatly, isn't it? Like, while I've been in the kitchen a lot since uh, the first episode, I've really... Uh, I've been meaning to bring it up, but the poster in the background um, where it's got MAD written on it. Now, here I am for years thinking it was in regards to, like, an old-style MAD magazine cover, but it's all Ken Bruce has gone MAD. If you have a look oh, at it again. Oh, wow. Yeah, have a look at it again and it's Ken Bruce has gone mad or has gone completely mad poster. Another bit of yeah. connective tissue to the late show. Yeah, and it's uh, the face is actually character uh, caricature of Ken Bruce. Wow. So, oh, my yeah. God. I wonder if he gave that to them as a gift or something. You know, because he, he is exactly the kind of guy who would have had that. He would have commissioned an artist to do a mad magazine-style poster. And then I reckon he probably would have given it to them. Like, but my my then question is, what about the big pencil guy? Did the big pencil guy <laughs> give him anything? Yeah. <laughs> well, he gave them the pencil. Yeah, and the sharpener. <laughs> oh, but Marty and Emma chat uh, in front of the planning board, and no one has RSVP to Mike's party. 
but they do talk about the Lezo story. Sorry, the Lezo's story with an S. Oh, you've got a better title for this story. That's um, spelt. Is it? It's with a Z, isn't it? How about sports dogs? See? They won a world championship, didn't even make the papers. All of a sudden it's our lead story. They oh, weren't lesbians when they won the championship. So yet again we go the sex angle. Hmm. Emma, there's an ancient current affairs recipe that my grandmother gave me. You take any story, add sex and stir. Hey, that's the name of the episode. And just as he says that, he walks in front of that photocopy of repairman again. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's where I first noticed I saw him, uh, about six and a half minutes in. So Mike talks to Jeff about the commercial. And they understand the worth of a current affairs host. Great. Oh, they understand the worth, do they? They understand. How well do they understand? Not pretty well. Really well? Not much they don't get. How well do they understand? <laughs> wow, that's an understanding. <laughs> that's an understanding. <laughs> <laughs> and all I've got to do is actually stand under the Sydney Harbour Bridge and say, better products more exports, that's got to be good for Australia. Is that all you have to that's, say? That's all I've got to you do. You deserve this. Oh, you... it's not the money, Jeff. I mean, a company yeah, like no. this, they only hire <laughs> someone they think has cred. Oh, and they think you have cred. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jeff. He, he just, he's, he's like Dom, he just comes out and says it. <laughs> what? This, well, this episode of Jeff is, um, I guess, if you find him adorable, then you'll really, really love him Further on down any episode. Yes, he uh, he. Well, he, the bit that we didn't hear in that clip was that he is coming to Mike's party, but with a friend. Ooh, Ooh. sizzle! Who's the friend going to be? Mike uh, admits he doesn't want Dominica to go, uh, as the guests will be a sophisticated crowd. Way to talk up his yeah. friends. So or, mean. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Dom. Oh, to be to be fair, you know, there's uh, there's some kind of highbrow guests that are going to be turning up to this. And maybe some less ones, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, not realising, though, that he did leave the invite on the fridge for everyone to see. Uh, but Brooke, Stu and Jace are heading towards their interview with the sports star, Alison, uh, with Stu bringing words of wisdom to Brooke uh, that it could have been she might have left the team due to poor form. You know, that's common sense. It's... Yeah, but she refuses to acknowledge the second part of the story or get some kind of alternative opinion and is just set, just set on uh, just getting those quotes and, and doing that interview. Yeah. Usually when it, some talent leave or uh, exit or whatever like that, they usually tend to, A, write a book, B, travel the world, or C, just take a sabbatical. Or D, uh, yeah, talk to uh, a current affairs show and then mysteriously go to the Gold Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Mike has a word with Dom. Accidentally outs that he's got uh, got a party going on. Yeah, yeah, foot and mouth disease, especially when she's had a coffee. <laughs> it's just like assumed that she's gone straight from the fridge, but no, coffee outside. And Brooke's interview with Alison does go well, and she sends her off to the Gold Coast to keep any rivals away, you know. Now, I'm, I'm sort of thinking these days... I don't think you could have that sort of thing in the plot line because, I don't know, they sort of treat like going to the Gold Coast as if you're going to be uncontactable. Yep, nowadays, you, like, you it's like we're like chatting they, now. Yeah. <laughs> we're all thousands of kilometres apart. They have journalists on the Gold Coast as well. You know, it's like uh, the neighbours yeah. exit, you know. it's If they want to, don't want them to appear again, you fly to Queensland. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think firstly they would have to fly this person overseas if they wanted to get rid of them or something. The, the other thing is they give her two tickets, one's presumably in her name and the other one's to take a friend. But presumably, I mean, can you even, you can't buy a plane ticket without a name attached to it. I mean, you might have been able to do that in the 90s. I, I don't know, but you certainly can't do that now because, you know, since 9-11 there's been so much about security and stuff. Mm. So it's oh. maybe a bit of a pedantry, snapshot but, of the era yeah. there, I think. <laughs> maybe it was possible. Future pedantry. Could have had a, could have had some, a credit voucher or something. Yeah. <laughs> pedantry. Yeah, di- disco is the future, <laughs> so yeah. you know, give, give me disco pedantry. What I like about this story, that, well, I don't know, what, what I find funny about this story, I suppose, when it goes to air in the show, is that there's a crappy changing room reenactment oh, um, yeah. showing, showing what happened when, you know, she what was going on in the change room of the Lezo sports team and, you know, basically a lot of women sort of getting their gear well, off. Well, have a listen to the transition. I might just re-ask one of the questions. When I uh, when I said to her how many of the team members had it in for her, what was her answer? Mm, most of them. I might just change that question slightly. Slightly? Alison, <laughs> how many girls in the team are gay? Um, most of them. So there it is. Alison Wainmouth, Australian sports hero, the girl next door who everyone loved. Unfortunately, she didn't return that love to the women who counted. (laughs) Yeah. You're just going to have to imagine the footage of, of these women in a steamy change room getting their gear off. I've been watching Unsolved Mysteries of late, like the old school stuff, and so just to hear that, just that dramatic yeah. sting, it's just like, <gasps> shock horror. It's kind of clangs in the yeah. in the music, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that's 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 not a slight modification to the question. Like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty brazen. But anything for a good story, yeah. right? Because it's all about Les Sauce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an island in Greece, isn't it? <laughs> Taking things out of context, uh, yeah, that, with that sexy reenactment, Mike does praise Brooke's story, uh, but Emma knows Brooke has manipulated the story. Uh, so Mike does try to get to the bottom of it, and he does receive a call from the Wacky Waiter Service by. Uh, <laughs> Did someone say so Wacky Waiter Service? Because. Gee, I think we might have had something in the late show about that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Gourmet Revolution. Event caterers of distinction. Food for fingers. Food for formal. Food for fun. Even with the famous wacky waiters. <laughs> for your special occasion at any location, contact the Gourmet Revolution, event caterers of distinction. The Wacky Waiters. People love the Wacky Waiters. Yes, <laughs> the they love them. They you love just, them. Don't you just get the feeling they could pop up anywhere? Do you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wacky Waiter. <laughs> that was Jason, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> I'm disappointed that the actual Wacky Waiter that appears at Mike's cocktail party is not played by Jason. Yeah. <laughs> I know, not even a cameo. Brian wants to stretch the story a little bit further. I'd love to stretch the story. Just one more night. Yeah, run a bit of game Mardi Gras footage. Put a little Katie Lang music underneath it. Mm. And that's great. 
if you can come down off your soapbox. Hey, hey, it was a good story. I just think that we pushed the sleaze angle just that little bit too far. Yeah, she made the accusation. Yes, but did she make the reenactment? I mean, did she write the lines, returning love? Just a bit of spice. For God's sake, it's just a story. What's at stake? Uh, a sporting career? I mean, what about her family and friends? I mean, it's embarrassing. And the damage it does to the sport. Sport? A bunch of girls running around in skirts. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing she didn't mention there is the homophobia. No, not at all. Yeah. It just, uh, this, do I dare say product of the time? Like, just the way it kind of presents itself? I, I think... In some ways, but not others. No, yeah. I mean, there's, there's still quite a lot of homophobia in tabloid news stories. I, it maybe wouldn't be quite that blatant. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I don't think we've progressed as much as we kind of hope that we have on issues like yeah, that. Yeah, as, as, as much as we've thought, yeah. Mm, yeah. But Marty has been having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> Poor and guy. And, yeah, we find out why. Yeah, fearing that he'll be forgotten about if he goes away for a few weeks. Could be replaced, you never know. Yeah, fearing that he won't have a job when he comes back. Maybe he should get Peter Luck to fill in for him. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is in the office though having a chat with Mike's manager on the phone. How much are they paying him for this ad? I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is he's signing tomorrow. Okay, mate. Why would a guy earning a shitload of money want to do a pissy ad? Hey, I can assure you that it's a very reputable company. It's a chance to raise his television profile, which I won't remind you at the moment is limited to just one network. Okay, Harry. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for the call. <gasps> the ticket seller. It's the ticket seller. It is, and we definitely know this because Harry M. Miller's name is in the credits. Yeah, unless it was someone completely different called Harry M. Miller, but no, that's probably unlikely. <laughs> it's not like when they got sort of the actor John Howard to play John Howard in the games. The yeah. <laughs> they found another. They found an actor called Harry M. Miller. No, it's the actual. Well, I was going. I was going to say, wasn't it in the book that because of the ticket seller reference with Harry and Miller in early episodes that Harry had written in, um, written the facts yeah. or whatever and praising yeah. him? And then they've got, oh, yeah, cool, and we'll, and we'll all manage mm. to squeeze him in. Yeah. Mike's agent was a ticket seller. Well, I, I assume because we've only heard this now, obviously Mike uh, Mike and Harry must have met after the Desert Angel uh, incident. Let's mm. put it that way. Perhaps. After that, uh, he gently persuades Mike that if he does the ad, he won't be able to get the chance to go and do Burke's backyard, which, yeah. Um, but Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's basically given the ultimatum, it's either Burke's backyard or the ad. You can't have both. Well, Mike's dedicated to doing the ad, though. Very passionate. Yeah, um, until. Yeah, after the chat with Dom, who is more interested in Burke's backyard than the ad, so uh, Mike changes his mind. Now Brian has him has to now go and try and squeeze him onto Burke's backyard, which, yeah, we'll see the result later on. Genius but, move by Brian, though. You got it. Oh, you yeah. got to admit. Emma does give Marty an idea to do a story while on holiday, so his holiday can be somewhat of a write-off. Clever. Again, another genius move, um, but um, it's uh, it's not coming for free, basically. Uh, it'll be in return for a favour later on. And 
Jan does tell Brian that Channel 9 has said yes to Mike very quickly, though. So dun, she's dun, suspicious. Dun. Yeah. <laughs> Just about. Well, and yeah. meanwhile, the team captain, Teresa, comes in and gives Brooke a serve for Alison's Lassos story. Yeah, she says she was dropped due to poor form, and which is kind of what we all suspected anyway. But I think what's sort of slightly more interesting about this scene is is Brooke's reaction to it. You know, she she says, "Oh, it was an ambush." You know, it was it's horrible that she came in here and confronted me like this. You know, and that's kind of well, you're sort of getting a bit of your own medicine there, Brooke, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Brian is on his high horse uh, with the sports and sex, so the adrenaline's rushing after that confrontation. Got to love it. And he's just trying to come up with ideas, trying to get her on and everything like that. Uh, and Emma and Marty suggest to help out uh, a potentially gay uh, test cricketer, which <laughs> we don't see who it is in the magazine. But Brian is a bit shocked and drops the idea. Yeah, it does expose that double standard there. It's okay to out sports women as lesbians, but it's not okay to out sports men as gay. Well, he says it would ruin his career, but I mean, I think there would probably be other implications as well as, you know, ruining the career. It's, I suspect it's partly because Brian quite enjoys the cricket, but, but also cricketers get paid well, they're high profile and, you know, they can kick up a stink in the media and potentially sue the network. So it becomes a much bigger deal than some women's sports people that no one have ever heard of. And it's time for Friday Night Funny Man, Elliot Rhodes. Interest rates are set to rise. Inflation's up, that's no surprise. Unemployment's still sky high. Recovery, it's a pack of lies. We just sang that yesterday. Ah, oh, don't talk about interest rates. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. No. No, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to state for the record at least 4.1%. That's where we're at now, cash rate. <laughs> so if you're listening to this in the future, <laughs> it could be could go higher. I'm yeah. still smarting from, well, there would have been a single-digit uh, episode. Uh, yeah, talking talking about talking about interest. So that's that's just bloody move on. And, and because this is our fiftieth episode, if you want to go back even further, this started during the peak of COVID. So this yeah. whole forecast. Yeah, so. when, when interest rates were like zero or something, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Point one. Yeah. Well, at least interest in our podcast has also grown. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent up on Yay. last year. <laughs> And Mike is forced to invite Elliot to the cocktail party by awkward moments in the studio. Now, Brian confirms with Mike doing the Burke's Backyard spot instead of the commercial as he thinks Australia's fourth biggest company, and I can be corrected again, uh, could go bankrupt and ruin his reputation only for uh, someone else high profile to take Mike's spot. But Mike does not see it because it comes up on the TV very cleverly just as they walk off into the distance, <laughs> into the sunset. And we find out who got the ad and, well, they're a pretty well-known current affairs personality. Better products, more exports. And that's got to be good for Australia. Ah, hello, I'm yeah. Jim Whaley. I'm slightly disappointed that wasn't Rob playing Jim Whaley, but, you know, let's get the real Jim Whaley anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah pretty good get. Coming up later, a cat that can count. <laughs> they should have got you. They should have got you to do it. 
That's right. I'm on two shows. <laughs> That's two current affairs shows I host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Alison. <laughs> I want Kent Bruckman. That's the that's the wrong comic universe. Now it is uh, time for Mike's cocktail party, and everyone turns up. Yeah, and uh, I think it's very appropriate. Um, look, let's have a party here as well. Let's put on a bit of party music. Yay! Well, all my friends are getting <laughs> Mazdas. Oh, actually. Um... No, this isn't music appropriate for a party, I think. So, no, let's let's have something a bit different. All right. Yeah. So groovy. So night. So early nineties so and nice. stylish. Hmm. Did we do that? I don't know. I don't know the words. <laughs> but yeah, very stylish music there. Um, yeah, Cantaloupe, uh, uh, performed by uh, us three. Um, something a bit of Herbie Hancock there as well. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I couldn't think of anything more, um, yeah, early 90s, sophisticated and slightly wanky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it is. Ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning sample, uh, all from Chill J's Hottest 100, Volume 3, I think. Or Volume 1. Yeah, I one. had that. Yeah, I, I did. Volume I, one, uh, yeah, it might, might have been volume two because I had volume one in 1994. So yeah, that's it. It was volume, volume one or volume two, yeah. It would have been volume two. Yeah, I cut, I cut out that little bit at the beginning just to get straight into the groove. <laughs> mm. Nice. So who is at the party? Well, uh, thankfully, they're all credited. Um, but uh, uh, most of the people uh, that are there, I mean, we start off with... Um, uh, Glenn Robbins and uh, Mike Moore. Glenn uh, noticing that Mike's lost his tie and uh, Mike thinking that this is the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, that was quite fashionable, wasn't it, to wear like a collared shirt, you know, buttoned up right to the top with no tie in that period. And it sort of came back more recently, actually, that look, but mainly for women. Well, no, and men as Future well. panellist as well. Yes, exactly, yes. yeah. And, uh, he's, and he somewhat looks like Russell Coit. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, he looks yeah. like that guy I'm from the yeah. comedy company as well. Yeah, <laughs> looks like one of my uncles. <laughs> I, sh- I, I should also say, with with all of these celebrity cameos, um, I don't think that they were very tightly scripted, really. Which I think is probably the main reason why we don't see a script for it in the book. Like, I think no. I think the the main thing with this cocktail party was. It's it's a cocktail party. It's an actual cocktail party with a bit of filming attached. But uh, then we get to see uh, George Negus interacting with uh, Domenica, who uh, doesn't know what a fatwa is. Um, can anybody uh, tell me uh, where we've seen George Negus before in the late show? He was on the exercise bike, wasn't he? Oh, a bit of a power failure. What's this? You'd, you'd, you'd think they'd have something you know, worked out, but we're going to come up. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, George. Betty time, Tom. A little bit faster, George. <laughs> we only got that three minutes to go. Thanks, Tommy. Oh, that's more like it. Yeah, Tom. Very handy on the exercise bike there. Uh, he was also uh, in uh, another um, thing on The Late Show. Does anybody remember that? Ah, uh, is it something that he corresponded with on The Late Show? Yes, that might have been a bit foreign. Evening and welcome to Foreign Correspondent. And as usual tonight, 
Our very own ABC reporters bring you war, famine, crisis and despair from all around the globe to brighten your Saturday night. Also a fascinating little postcard about beekeeping in Sudan. And a special report from the remote southern city of Melbourne. We penetrate a dark and secret cult whose primitive rituals are televised weekly to a largely indifferent audience. The cult they call The Late Show. Nice. That sounds, that sounds too close to our podcast, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Gathering together on a Saturday night, uh, podcasting to an indifferent audience. <laughs> now we find out uh, Jeff's special guest. Her name's uh, Sabrina. Um, I'm assuming it's played by Sabrina Montgomery going by the um, end credits. And uh, she's got a very special job. Yeah, yes. she pushes people in. Into the pool. <laughs> isn't that, that isn't was a weird that, show? Oh, no. Again, <laughs> such a 90s reference. We also have Mike uh, conversing with um, movie reviewer and um, uh, host of the Channel 7 Midday Movie, Ivan Hutchinson. Tony Martin's mate, yep. We also see Mike um, uh, take Molly Meldrum to task for ELO not being on the TV Week 25 Best Albums list. <laughs> Uh, so we have seen Molly Meldrum before and not just in the Countdown Classics section. Where else have we seen Molly Meldrum in the late show? Mark Raking Tour. That's the one, Alison. Let's see it. Molly Meldrum, we see it. If we're lucky to... Oh, there he is now! Oh, oh, oh Molly Meldrum! Let's give him a hi! Get him, Molly! Hey, Molly! Chucking bottles at the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he also made that appearance uh, when they're doing the decent proposal. Indecent oh, God, proposal I trailers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't get, I didn't get a clip for that. That's okay. That's right. What was it called? It was called something like an improbable proposal. Uh, and then we see Mike with uh, Glenn Ridge, who gives him a little bit of news that, um, that he's uh, been trying to get uh, Mike uh, to appear on Sale of the Century. Uh, and uh, mm. Mike was trying to get the trio, Ray, uh, Martin, Stan Grant, and him on. So that uh, would have been a good mix. Yeah. yeah. So, I wonder who would have uh, won. Yeah. I reckon Stan. I'd, I'd put my money on Ray, I think. Because, you know, Ray would have, Ray was older, obviously. Like, you know, he, well, he still is, but, you know, he would have, he would have known more stuff. Stan was no. young at that time. No, no, nobody's going to stick up for uh, Mike. No, no, <laughs> he would have been right. a loser. <laughs> well, maybe before we saw his uh, appearance on Berg's backyard. <laughs> true, mm. true. All right. So, where have we seen Glenn Ridge before in the late show? Oh, jeez. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ridge. That's the one, Kim. <laughs> David Mamet's Glengarry Glen Ridge coming soon. And there was one other kind of inadvertent place where we saw Glen Ridge on the late show. Does anybody remember where that was? Oh, um, when Jane was on Sale of the Century, Celebrity Sale of the Century. Yeah. According to the nursery rhyme, old King Cole was a what? Silly old fart! Merry old soul. Merry old soul. Yes. And you know what? Tony Barber has said on Facebook that that is one of the biggest highlights of his life doing that sketch. And he wow. didn't have to do it. He just had to be himself. He didn't have to do anything. But it's so well remembered, that sketch. So, you know, it's so associated. It's iconic. 
Yeah. yeah. Is. So uh, after more mingling, everyone's dancing. And we also get to see Jeff's weatherman dance, which he obviously only pulls out for special occasions. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Especially when he's pointing to Darwin, <laughs> raising his hands up. Darwin. Hey, there's a thing called the nut bush. I reckon we could do Jeff doing the weatherman dance. It's she raining, did. Jeff's. That's... <laughs> We would certainly um, be able to break the world record for uh, many people doing uh, Jeff's weapon hand dance. Yeah. <laughs> Just the four of us. Mm. <laughs> it's called the Salter. <laughs> do oh, the Salter. Yeah, do the Salter. Do the Salter. Darwin, yeah. 20, 30, and thirty-six. <laughs> so he's he's so euphoric, and there's such a you know a buzz in the air. But um, just, there's a bit of a one eighty on the whole uh, emotion front a bit later, isn't there? Oh yeah, yes. Later on, like when um, Burke's backyard is about to be on TV, yeah. uh, Mike does find Jeff alone. And finding out that sound guy Jace has uh, run off with Sabrina. Oh well, no. Given her a lift home, yeah. Like he sounds, he sounds so naive about it. When we like, we all know what that means. And in regards to Jace, the sound guy, uh, listener Brett Shearer, uh, podcast listener uh, Brett Shearer has said that uh, he had been watching Ad Sex and Stir, and the irony that Jace, the sound guy, doesn't say a word in the eps. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, my partner pointed that out. It's just, it's just hilarious. Well, yeah. he, he probably doesn't he knows get paid he, as much then. He knows he has to, to shut money. up. He knows he has to shut <laughs> yeah. up. As a sound guy, you know you have to shut up because you're recording other people. Maybe maybe we need to try and find the actor that plays him, Torquil Nielsen, um, first of all, to get him on the show, but also just to let him speak finally for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> He's been on the show. He's been on the show. We just never heard him. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, hold on. That deserves a... Yeah. <laughs> so uh, back to the TV and everyone's watching Burke's Backyard um, and Mike does come on as the celebrity profile quite awkwardly. Yeah, well, I live in a bit of a backwater gardening, but what oh. you've got to know exactly yeah. what's happening all over the world. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you've got to be right up to the minute all the time. Yeah. Rwanda's a mess, though, isn't it? The fighting goes on and so oh. does the tragedy. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I can never remember the name of the tribes there. Um, uh, they're, um, well, they're... Because uh, you did a thing on it, didn't Yes, you? they're the... Oh. Uh, Zulu's was one, and the Tutti. It's funny. A little bit hazy. Yeah, it's right. I've got a complete block also about the the capital there of Rwanda. Is um, uh, it's funny, isn't it? When you're right in the world of it all, and uh, yeah, awkward, cringy. But it's not the first time that Mike has been on Burke's backyard, or should I say, Rob, Tom, Santo, and. Jane. Hi, welcome to Burke's Backyard. Coming to you tonight from where else? Burke's Backyard. We're the D generation and Don has kindly allowed us to take over his show tonight. Some would say foolishly. Coming up on tonight's program, we'll be showing you around Don's garden. We'll be playing those segments he gave us before. Actually, have you seen the tapes? I haven't to Jane. Oh no, it's all under control. Oh good. We'll also look at the ins and outs of dog obedience. And we meet our celebrity gardener, John Clark. Hello, John Clark. Yeah, what about it? Um, it's Rob and Tom uh, from Burke's Backyard. Rob and who? Tom. Burke's Berk, Backyard, we've taken over the show for the, the night. Filling in for Don Burke. And oh, yeah? The, 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 the office rang, I believe, and arranged for the to come and have a look at the garden. Celebrity gardener? Who? 
<laughs> now, also, just a, a little bit of info. Uh, last Friday, the celebrity gardener on Burke's backyard was uh, then federal opposition leader Alexander Downer. Oh, oh. me. And this Friday, it's Sydney Swans coach Ronda Rassi. Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Is he... Oh, is it Ron Barassi or Shirley Bassey? <laughs> I don't think uh, Shirley Bassey coached the Sydney Swans at all. We would have known. Uh, we would have noticed. <laughs> D- does Alexander but- Downer have the fishnets on as, he, as we tour his, his <laughs> luscious <laughs> Adelaide garden? I think this was... He uses them in his... I, I think this was pre-fishnets. Because you know, my... well, surely he just used them in his vegetable garden. Well, yeah, exactly. My, my <laughs> dad would take my mum's old tights and he would use them to tie yeah. roses to, you yeah, know, you sticks see? or something. That's so, where... I, I like to think that there were a few fishnets holding up some roses mm. in Alexander Downer's lovely garden. <laughs> and yeah, so, uh... so, surprisingly enough, detailed though the healthy, wealthy, and wise listing is, there's no other information about uh, what was on uh, Burke's backyard apart from the celeb garden. Well. After that awkward little party, let's uh, everyone keep dancing. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some lovely trumpeting here. I should say, like, I got this from, I, did, I didn't show this earlier. I've got it on CD. Ah. Nice. Yeah. Another optical media. And, does and, that play on disc person? Uh, it does, yeah. And it's, it's one of these things where the original owner has cut up the cardboard cover, the, the, the cardboard slipcase that it came in, and put it in a proper plastic case. Ah, oh, okay. I know. There's someone who cares about physical media. Mm. I know. I, I wouldn't have been as fastidious to do that, yeah. But, cool. uh, yeah, I think uh, the last word, and I think it's, it's a great one, has to come from uh, Mike Moore. And it's such a great way to cap off the episode. Oh, come on, everyone, let's party! (laughs) (laughs) Please, please party at my party. so desperate. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now just also very quickly before we wrap up, like, just plot-wise, do you think it would have been better if that Jim Whaley Australia First ad was playing in the ad break before Mike oh, rather, been... ra- rather than mm. as they walk away, rather than as Mike and uh, Brian walk away from the studio do you, think, do, they... do you think it would have hit harder oh, I reckon it would have taken the shine off the Burke's Backyard joke if anything maybe they probably did and then they moved it to that scene previously yeah, because they, it's they, very very they, close they probably could have but yeah. You make a great point, though. Like it's sort of like sort of con- like contrasting uh, how much of a bad uh, decision Mike's have been, uh, essentially made. Yeah, so it could have come after after the segment was over. Yeah, it would have hit even harder than before. So obviously there was more people at the party, but I did not pay attention to any of that. There was one other person when I was going through the credits that I realised was a notable individual who was clearly at this party. I don't. I don't think there's a good shot of them, and that person is Alan Finney. Now, does anyone know who Alan Finney is? I've heard of the name. Don't know the person. Yeah, Alan Finney. He was actually the producer of films such as Alvin Purple. And, oh, of course. And he went on to produce a great many films um, in the Australian cinema, and I think he's um, he's very well regarded, sort of legend of the industry status now. But Apparently he's at this party, so 
Yeah, look out for Alan Finney if you can spot him. Uh, not to cut your lunch too much, but Alan Finney has been in The Late Show. Has he? Ooh, I don't remember he? that. Because he, he had one line. So does does any does anybody remember what it was in or uh, or remember the line or anything like that? Nope. All I'm nope. thinking is a Warren Perso sketch, but that's I can't He's think of it. He's not anything. in Warren Perso. No, he is in Warren Perso. Is oh, he? is he? I just yeah. flipped that. <laughs> so 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 in this clip, uh, he's the one that's not Tony Martin speaking in this clip with his one spectacular line. You are fucking kidding me, Alan. You are fucking kidding. You know we need a big American name to get the Yanks on board. Jesus, Mr. T's pulled out. He's doing a fellow on the fair stuff for six months. Okay, okay, here's what we do. <laughs> Go back to Life Garrett's people and just give them whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. Jesus. Nice. Oh, I can't believe One I forgot line, that. But what a line. <laughs> Othello on the fair stuff. Othello, yeah. Oh for six God. months. That's great. For six months. <laughs> Best of the friendship. There's so much more. I mean, I, I know it's a joke, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, I just cannot imagine people on the Fair Star going to see Othello. You know, the cruise ship <laughs> entertainment, generally speaking, is sort of a bit more of the musical theatre variety than your sort of full on Shakespeare. But okay. So that concludes Frontline Season 1, Episode 10, and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 50. We made it to 50. Holy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Although, although <laughs> like, I'm. Like, We've it's, done more than like, 50s. 50's good, but I kind of feel like it's not that special considering, like, it's every two weeks and we took six months off last year. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> we, we I mean, a, I mean they, can, they can work it out by looking at the calendar, but anyway. Yeah. But, that, but, that's then, okay. but then again, like, considering we're still doing this after all this time. So feel free to email us champagnelateshow at gmail.com just to say that, you know, even if you just say, hey, I'm a champagne comedy nerd as well, uh, or Twitter at TLS Champagne, uh, website champagnecomedy.com, Facebook, The Late Show page, or search for Champagne Comedy Podcast Group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. Also, Redbubble, uh, bit.ly slash champagnecomedy and yeah, Patreon, but I really haven't activated it properly. So I, I can give you my PayPal account, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, come on, put yeah. Australia oh, first. Either way. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, Australia first, yeah. <laughs> uh, so as always, thank you, Alison, Daniel, and Kim for coming on, as well as uh, the special guest, uh, Boris Conley, yeah. a.k.a. Elliot Rhodes for the Friday Night Funny Man. What a fantastic uh, little chat. Um, if you do get to listen to the entire uh, interview in the separate episode. So as well as thank you, you uh, who has downloaded, listened wherever it is on your podcast or YouTube or wherever um, we've decided to host it. Um, yeah, 50. Hooray. Yay, yeah, you made it. Yay. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. Um, but yeah. the, the rest of us here, I think we're just going to stay here and party. Help yourself to a few canapes from the Wacky Waiters. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we're, we're, off, we're off to celebrate our 50th episode. Yeah, spew Manti all around. So, <laughs> okay, I'm Matt. Thanks for listening. Catch you next episode. See ya. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au. That's awful party music, Matt. Oh, you can kind of dance to it. But give us something better than that. Come on. (laughs) All right. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah. Brisbane! (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) Come on, play them funky horns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah!